Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome to another edition of the Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, a uh, big NBA conference semifinal preview. We talk some Zion Williamson. Talk about a number of teams not in the NBA uh, semifinals with Brian O'Ringer. You can follow him on Twitter at Scout with Brian. That's Scout with B R Y A N. You can follow him at scoutwithbrian.com. He does some amazing video breakdowns of NBA uh, games, a particular one he had out recently about the Warriors and the Rockets that we'll talk about with him that really explains to you why the Golden State Warriors prevailed over the uh, Houston Rockets, even without Kevin Durant. You can also follow him at patreon.com backslash scoutwithbrian, and uh, he's on YouTube as well. I'll, uh, I'll put some of his YouTubes. Uh, out when I tweet this uh, this podcast out later today. He's a former video coordinator with the Washington Wizards, a former advanced scout with the Atlanta Hawks and the Toronto Raptors. So a lot of time in the NBA. We talk about life in the NBA as well. So I think you'll really enjoy that. We'll get to that in a moment. First, let me tell you, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call the number, ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what new Ford you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Tell him that you heard about Clark Ford on the beer garden, and you'll save $500 off your already great bottom line. And when you get in your new Ford, head over to the Oxford Crystal. It's right next door to the Oxford Exxon. Get 10 crystals for $6. Pick any five for $5.55. Uh, get the $3 square meal there at, uh, at Crystal. And, of course, the breakfast with the Scrambler breakfast bowls. Uh, those are always fantastic. The, also, later in the day, if you are looking to uh, cook something at your home, uh, coming through Oxford to grab something, the place to go is LB's Meat Market. It's at 2008 University Avenue. It's um, right across from Kroger, 662-259-2999. Call Tell Greg Jones what you uh, what you want. He'll have it all packaged up for you. Or do what I still love to do, and that's stop in and browse. They're open every day from 10 to 6.30. Go in, browse. They've got the freshest cuts in Oxford, bone-in ribeyes, uh, pork, chicken, fresh seafood from the Gulf. The sausages this time of year are absolutely fantastic. You owe it to yourself to try those. 662-259-2999, 2008 University Avenue in oxford the podcast also brought to you by community mortgage it's located in oxford memphis DeSoto county and chattanooga 30 years old this year it's one of the oldest mortgage companies in the southeast all of the underwriting and the processing is done in memphis so you're getting local underwriting that understands your market it's also the leader in condo financing in the oxford market so get in touch with jason lowe and ask about community mortgages float down option which allows you to lock in the current rate but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. J-Low, J-L-O-W-E, at communitymtg.com. And we're brought to you by Strategic Partners of Media. SPM is a full 
service advertising agency that works with businesses of all types, big or small, Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media. Look, here's why SPM's really good and different than other ad firms. They handle everything in-house. They don't sub their work out. The writing, the production, and the editing is done solely by their staff and crafted uniquely for their clients. And lastly, an Ole Miss grad and a Mississippian's a partner in the firm. So get in touch with them and see just how great they are. It's Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. And now we go to the Patterson and Earhart hotline and a visit with Brian O'Ringer. Brian, thanks so much for uh, for joining the podcast. Really appreciate you taking some time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I want to get to the series that are coming up. Get your quick thoughts on them. Um, sort of what you what you'll be looking for in the early games in the series. But I want to go back to a video breakdown that you did of uh, Houston Golden State, which was obviously an intriguing series to so many people because it's the Warriors, and uh, there's this sense that that the Warriors are, are you know, the, it might be the end of a dynasty because of Kevin Durant and what Kevin Durant might or might not do. All of those things. Durant goes down with the calf injury. It felt like, you know, to people who watch the NBA, it felt like here's this big opportunity for the Rockets. in Win game six, go back to Golden State, no Kevin Durant, and maybe knock them out, upset the NBA apple cart, change the the, the – trajectory of both franchises and yet it didn't happen and you really broke down why in your video piece how surprised were you as you watched that game unfold and when you went back and watched the film how surprised were you that Houston struggled to to kind of handle some of the Draymond Green uh Steph Curry pick and rolls pick and slide all the stuff that that Golden State really just killed Houston with yeah pretty surprised but uh i mean you know they've been doing it <clears throat> for so long that uh even when kd went down you know i feel like most most basketball minds still felt you know golden state still had a great chance and uh you know obviously i think that was uh, houston's biggest opportunity and you know people are the narrative will be you know missed opportunity but you know they won 73 games without kd when you have a, a shooter like steph and a shooter like clay and playmakers like uh like Draymond and Iguodala guys you know with such a high basketball IQ you know that they're still uh an unbelievable team honestly and you know a game comes down to the last couple games of the series come down to the last few minutes and executing and uh you know Golden State moves so well without the ball they run their stuff you know they have just brilliant playmakers like like Draymond like Steph um you know and uh Houston, I thought, was was right there and gave themselves a good chance. But, you know, P.J. Tucker missed a big, big wide-open corner three down the stretch. You know, they let, uh, you know, Clay hit a contested three. Steph had a couple couple drives. And, uh, you know, people people love to have, like, this grand, uh, huge narrative that, that Houston choked or anything like that. I, I don't really buy into that, to be honest with you. I, I think it was too exceptional basketball teams and I, I thought both of them played you know really good basketball for the most part and uh you know Golden State just had a couple <laughs> hit a few more shots ultimately in a in a make miss league uh a couple other game sevens yesterday I know it was game six two game sevens on Sunday people hear this on Tuesday we're taping on Monday afternoon um who let the bigger opportunity get away was it Denver or Philly 
that's a good question. I, uh, Philly might have been more consequential, you know, just because uh, now the, the talk is about Brett Brown's uh, job security. And, you know, I think uh, Philly and Toronto, I, I think both would have had a pretty good chance to to beat Milwaukee and go to the NBA Finals. You know, I, I think both Portland and Denver, I think ultimately, you know, would have been beat uh, pretty handily by, by Golden State. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the chance to play in a conference finals is, is huge, you know, for both teams. And I'm sure they're they're kicking themselves a little bit, but uh, I feel like, you know, Denver overall, um, you know, you talk to their fan base, you just get the pulse of <clears throat> of what's going on there. They're probably more content, uh, you know, than, than Philly is. And maybe that's a, a root of just uh, Philly being Philly <laughs> in a sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope Brett Brown doesn't lose his job over a Kawhi Leonard shot that bounced on the rim four or five times. I, you know, I, I think they they played it about as well as they could too. And it was again two amazing series that uh, both won seven games. And uh, you know, ultimately that's that's a tough part of basketball or, or sports. You know, there's there's one team that's going to be happy at the very end. So yeah, that game literally sits on the rim there for you know a second, whatever however long it was. It felt like ten seconds, but. And it felt to me, like watching the end of regulation, that uh, Philly had sort of escaped and that had it gone to overtime, I always liked the team that has to feel like this giant sigh of relief to get into the overtime, and that would have been Philadelphia. If that game goes to overtime, and it's just it's the great what if now, who would you have liked in those five minutes the way that the game was unfolding? Yeah, I mean, I uh... – you know, Kawhi had 39 before that shot, I think. I mean, I, you'd have to think that he was uh, just about gassed and couldn't have couldn't have given too much more. But uh, at the same time, I mean, Philly's guys were too. I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I, uh, you know, my, my pick in the series, honestly, from the start, I picked Philly in seven, and that was mostly just because, you know, in addition to Butler, they also had Embiid, they had Simmons, they have uh, Harris and Reddick. You know, they have a lot of guys who could – who could score, you know, whereas Toronto, you saw down the stretch, especially they were pretty much uh, Kawhi or nothing. Um, so, you know, I, I think Philly maybe might have had a slight edge if it went overtime, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kawhi is just, he's an alien. He's a freak. He's, uh, you know, proved why he's a, he'll be a hall of famer someday. And, you know, stepped up in a huge, huge moment with a massive shot. And, uh, you know, he, he deserves all the success he's had. I think you would agree the Eastern Conference semifinals are the more compelling of the, of the two series that are about to start, uh, Golden State and, and Portland in the West, and then Milwaukee and Toronto in the East. When you watch Game 1, Game 2 of this Milwaukee-Toronto uh, series, what will you be looking for? I'm going to get your pick and all that stuff in a minute, but what, what specifically when you're sitting down and you're breaking down the film maybe from Game 1, are you looking to see as to – um, you know, or when you're studying film, look, kind of evaluating the series before it gets started, what are you looking for? Uh, probably mostly matchups. You know, they say playoffs is, is really a game of matchups, and that's – it is really true, you know, because it's about – a guy like Giannis, you know, Boston, I thought, uh, had Horford, who was a decent matchup on him, but then, you know, beyond Horford, uh, you know, Baines certainly wasn't, and they also just, you know, didn't have a whole bunch of uh, – really physical wings who could make things tough for him. Uh, you know, Toronto has guys like uh, Kawhi, obviously, if he could do it for a few possessions. Um, you know, Siakam, Abaka has some size to him. You know, OG, I think if he comes back, would be huge, you know, because his ability to 
really defend multiple positions. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think having guys that can match up, especially against uh, Giannis or against Kawhi is, is a huge deal. And then, you know, on top of it, you kind of just look at the schemes, you know, I think Milwaukee, obviously, um, you know, Charles Barkley, I think oversimplified it a little bit. He, he called them like the worst half court offense in the league. I, I wouldn't put it that far, but I, I do agree with his point that, you know, they're much better in transition. They're much better, you know, when Giannis can just attack right away and not have to set up and run plays. Um, and so you'll really look at, you know, how good's Toronto's uh, floor balance, how good are they just at getting back every single time. And, you know, it's really going to be the simple things. It's Boston didn't do it, you know, remotely consistently except for game one. Um, and if Toronto wants to have a chance, you know, they have to be really, really committed to, to getting back and building a wall and making Giannis see, you know, three or four bodies every single time. And if you don't do that, you know, he just continues to get through the defense and, uh, you know, score 30 a game and make plays for his teammates. So I uh, I think it'll be a good series. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. What's your early pick in that one? <laughs> My early gut pick, again, is uh, I'll go Toronto just because, uh, you know, I, I feel, again, that, like, you know, Toronto uh, – Sorry, excuse me. Giannis obviously is a phenomenal, phenomenal player, but I think I think there's certain things you can do scheme wise to to neutralize them a little bit. You know, like I think Boston in game one kind of showed the formula. The formula is, you know, really, really get back, wall up, take away everything they have in transition. And once you do that, you know, Giannis will still hurt you a little bit. But uh, you know, Middleton's played amazing and Lopez can hit some shots, but outside of that, you know, they're not uh they don't have a ton of go-getter bucket guys, you know, like Hawaii is. Um, and Toronto doesn't either, you know, to be honest. They they are limited, and, you know, they need Gasol to be productive. They need Lowry to give them a little more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I down the stretch of close games in the playoffs, I, I feel like Kawhi has, you know, more of that mid-range game, that ability to elevate and get his own shot uh, no matter what than, than Giannis does. So right now I'll probably give them a slight edge just based on kind of that matchup and, uh, you know, how, how Kawhi can do a little better as a, as an end of game scorer, in my opinion, you know, going into the season, everyone thought it would be golden state Houston in the Western conference finals. At one point in the season, it looked like the thunder maybe were positioning themselves to be a contender to get to the Western conference finals. They fell off. I'm going to ask you about them in a little while. Um, then it looks like Denver, and then Denver obviously get, couldn't get past Portland. Here it is, Portland, a team that was swept out of the Western Conference playoffs in the first round last year by the Pelicans. How surprised are you today to look up and, and you're you're preparing for a series that's Golden State and Portland in the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's an amazing testament to, to those guys. I, I tweeted that, uh, you know, I talked to somebody with, with the Blazers coaching staff uh, right after uh, Nurkic had got hurt. And, you know, he obviously was pretty down. But he told me, you know, I was trying to kind of get a feel for their outlook and what they were thinking now. And he, he said, truthfully, our season ended tonight, you know, when, when Nurkic got hurt. And now here they are in the Western Conference Finals. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing testament to, to Lillard and McCollum and even how their, their role players have all stepped up. But, uh you know, it's it's also a factor a little bit of obviously, you know, Houston and Golden State having to play each other in the second round. I thought was a shame because, uh, you know, it just that's how the seating worked out. But I I think Houston, you know, would have would have beat this Portland team, and that's that's no disrespect to Portland. I 
you know, I think uh, obviously Dame's an unbelievable player, and McCollum, you know, showed the mid range isn't dead and really stepped up in, in Game Seven. But uh, I, I think Harden obviously is, uh, you know, one of the best two or three players in the league, if not the best, and he he deserves to fight for the right to to be in the finals. And uh, I thought it was unfortunate that he had to to meet Golden State in the second round. But yeah, Portland's done an amazing, amazing job, and. Uh, you know, I think they'll be able to steal at least a game or two off Golden State. I don't, I don't think the series will be super competitive, but I think they, uh, with Damon CJ, they have enough firepower to at least win. You know, a game, maybe two at home. You know, Billy Donovan famously got caught saying "can't play Cantor" during that Rockets Thunder series a couple of years ago. He told Maurice Cheeks that on the bench, and uh, Cantor goes to New York. And truth is, he didn't play a hell of a lot there either. And then he ends up in Portland. What is Terry Stotts doing? with Enos Cantor that's allowing him to not only play him, but to play him extended minutes, including, you know, late clutch minutes. Yeah, so, I mean, some of that is definitely, you know, it's a credit to Cantor, it's a credit to the coaching staff, but it, it also a little bit is a factor of, uh, you know, who they play. It, I, I think Cantor is, uh, uh, his biggest weakness really is defending pick and rolls. And when you have uh, a guy like Russ who, you know, is a really incons- inconsistent shooter and you can afford to live with him, shooting every time off pick and rolls, uh, you know, he's pretty playable then. Uh, then you look at a team like Denver, you know, their their best player, obviously their real point guard is Nurkic. You know, they kind of run the team through him with, with him handling the ball and, and don't run as much, you know, traditional pick and roll. Um, so, you know, I, I think he was playable, a little less playable, but still playable in a series like that. But I think this is the real challenge now, you know, uh, Golden State, you know, putting Steph in pick and rolls, putting uh, Clay off pin downs, you know, just their constant movement. That's going to require him to, to really get up, to really move his feet. And that's, you know, when, when Billy had that famous moment, that's kind of what he was referring to, that especially against a guy like Harden, it's uh, it's really hard for Canner to, to get up in the pick and roll and also keep a big man, you know, in front of him and, and do all the different things you have to do in pick and roll coverage. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, he, he's a, he's a vet. He knows what he's doing. He plays hard. He, you know, he, he competes, he battles, but his weakness for sure is, is pick and roll defense. And I would definitely expect uh, Golden State to, to go after that as much as they can. Before I pick your mind on a handful of teams that aren't in the NBA finals, uh, that, or that won't be in the NBA finals, I should say, is, is there a team, whether it's Toronto or Milwaukee, that would have a better chance against the Warriors, assuming in this case that Kevin Durant returns and is at least some shell of himself in the, in the finals? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I feel like Milwaukee maybe is has a better chance just because, you know, again, they have kind of the transcendent guy in, in Giannis who is such a physical freak that, uh, you know, especially the way Golden State plays, that they have a tendency to – you know, go small and have Draymond at the five. I, I feel like Giannis, uh, you know, would be a threat to to get to the rim and score in transition. And you know, he would certainly try to take advantage of of Steph defensively and just you know his sheer size and brute force. Uh, I feel like would you know present some unique challenges for for Golden State. I, I think uh, Toronto could definitely give them a little fight too. But yeah, I mean, in my book, like I said, I. I personally at least believe that, you know, Houston was the second best team in the league. And it was a shame that series didn't go seven because, uh, you know, I, I think they were mostly great games and, and really fun to watch. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think both of those teams could give Golden State, you know, a fight and, and be a good finals. But if KD is healthy, I, I would still expect them to uh, 
would be the favorites, obviously. If you're in the front office in Houston, when the disappointment of, of what happened begins to wear off, uh, how do you – how do you sort of do what Portland did, which is avoid the, the temptation to overreact? Do you just sort of stay the course with this group that you have in Houston? Is there a specific way that you would tweak it to, to get over the hump? Or would you just say, hey, we're going to stay with what we've got. We're going to assume that the Warriors, in some shape, form, or fashion, break up to some degree, and we're going to take another run at it? Yeah, I mean, I uh... – you know, I think Portland's a great example to point to of exactly, you know, why to keep that calm and, and not, uh, you know, lose your resolve over over another playoff disappointment. I, I think ultimately, you know, Harden's still 28 years old and Capella's still improving. You know, Tucker's still a great player. Chris Paul's obviously on the, on the downswing, but, uh, you know, is capable of having huge games like he did in game six. I, uh, you know, I, I think they have a really good team still and, I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't trade Harden or any of the blow it up things some people are talking about. But at the same time, there's there's definitely some tinkering around the edges that they could do and and look at. You know, Harden famously kind of in that press conference said he knows exactly what they need to do, and I'm not exactly sure what he's referring to. But my personal guess was saying that you know uh, I think like. You know, taking the threes and taking shots at the rim has is, is obviously been their philosophy, and it's worked out pretty well for them offensively. But, you know, it has kind of run into a roadblock a little bit in the playoffs. And I think uh, I think it would make sense for them to get a couple more guys who could potentially do something in the mid-range, potentially create their own shot, you know, especially if, uh, if the threes aren't falling. And yeah, I'm sure Daryl, you know, Morey will do everything he can to think about a guy, you know, like Jimmy Butler, if there's any – cap finagling they could do to, to get him somehow or or even just some uh some bench scorer who can kind of you know score in the mid-range and create his own shot a little bit but yeah I mean that was that was my guess that maybe Harden might feel a little hamstrung by kind of uh guys being forced to literally you know not being allowed to take a shot at the elbow I think is a little bit silly and uh it's kind of the new age Maury model but I think there's some logic to you know when teams take away threes on the rim Sometimes a, a long two is the open shot, and, and sometimes you need it down the stretch. So that's that's what I would look at if, if I was them. But at the same time, you know, running it back, uh, I think, certainly has a chance like Portland to, uh, to eventually break through uh, as well. Same question for Oklahoma City. They go into this different kind of an offseason this year where um, – this is the first offseason that they're not bated breath about a free agent, whether it's Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook or now Paul George. They sort of know what they have. Um, they have a huge payroll. There's not a ton of flexibility. Uh, it clearly did not work in the second half of the season. I'm curious, in your opinion, how much of that had to do with the injuries to George and to a lesser degree Westbrook, and how much of that had to do with it's a team that just doesn't have the right pieces. They don't, they don't have enough scores. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel like that one's uh, honestly a much closer parallel to, to Portland, you know, just because I feel like Houston's kind of uh, on a higher level as a team, and you know, if they run it back, they're they're still a team that's destined to to get through at some point. Whereas I feel like Oklahoma City, like Portland, is more, you know, just uncertainty. There was a lot of talk of you know, the fire stats, the are Lillard and McCollum, you know, are they too similar? Are they not enough to? to win a playoff series by their own, um, you know, and 
I go back and forth on Oklahoma City a lot. I, I think George, obviously, not being 100% was was pretty impactful. I think not having your best defender and Andre Roberson uh, as a guy who you know could have slowed down Dame a little bit and uh, made things tougher on him was a huge you know underrated part of the series. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I love the Russ the way Russ plays. I think he's you know the highest motor guy in the league. I, I'd go to war with him. I think it's pretty telling that the Paul George would do the same and, and feel so strongly about him. I think they were, you know, they were a great pairing together for a lot of the season. I think uh, Adams is, is a really good fit alongside them, and and they've got some other nice pieces. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's on the front office ultimately. Like you said, that they don't have enough scoring. They don't have a stretch four. You know, their bench was pretty abysmal um, in the playoffs. They – you know, they have uh, George and Russ pretty much as the only guys who can get anybody a shot, let alone themselves. Um, so I think they definitely need to need to give them a, a few more pieces of, of scoring talent, playmaking talent, you know, big who can shoot. There's a lot of needs on that roster. And, uh, you know, I think all things considered, it, you know, they, they played Portland pretty well too, especially in the last few games of that series. And, you know, Dame hits this incredible – 37-foot hero ball shot that makes the narrative misery. But uh, I, I don't think they're as far as away as, as some people think either. I, I think uh, they're still on the right track. And, you know, they should they should keep most of the core intact, but maybe, uh, you know, just add some bench scoring in particular. A lot of Grizzlies fans in our audience, assuming the Grizzlies don't luck out on the lottery and get the number one pick, what should Memphis do with Mike Conley this offseason? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought they had to trade him for a while. To be honest with you, I, uh, you know, I just think that team is is a ways away from from anything, and uh, you know, they kind of owe it to, to him first of all to let him, you know, try to make an all star team as he's really deserved for a long time, and you know, play playoff basketball again. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know. I think obviously it's tough to find the right value with him, especially given the contract. And you know, you you think you're always selling low on him ultimately, but I think if you can, uh, you know, get give the contract and maybe get a pick back, and uh, you know, start to turn towards the young core you're trying to develop a little more, that's something I would look at. But uh, it's definitely a, a tenuous. Uh, position for that team I'm, I'm not sure if there is a uh, a great answer for their their best path forward does boston have to tear it up to some degree now i mean they went into this season with really high expectations a lot of people thought maybe they were the favorite in the east assuming that hayward would be healthy and a lot of there were a lot of assumptions there but there was a feeling that hey man no one has more pieces than boston and they don't get as far as people thought they would. What's I know Anthony Davis is out there. If you're if you're running the Celtics front office right now, what's sort of your your mindset? Well, I think first and foremost, it'll be you know a lot out of their control. Just you know the Kyrie situation. Obviously, there seems to be a pretty foregone conclusion that he's uh, he's gone. But you know if if by some miracle he you know, that's not true, and he wants to come back. I guess first question is, are you even convinced that you want him back? You know, I think, uh, like you said, I think they proved a little bit. They had too many cooks in the kitchen this year, and I think Kyrie is a, is a really talented scorer and a really talented player, but at least in the Milwaukee series, I mean, I just saw a complete 
you know, lack of competitive grip and, uh, and heart, you know, from him and just sort of a general, uh, apathy and, you know, that's Grand Hill and people have talked about it. That's just not the, the Celtics way. That's not their culture. That's not, you know, how Brad Stevens wants to coach and how those guys normally play. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they first have to figure that out. If again, if he wants to come back, you know, can they still envision kind of building a team around him and, and maybe a guy like Davis, like you said, but if he doesn't, you know, do you maybe, do you maybe hand point guard over to, to Terry Rozier and, and see if he is, you know, the player he looked like in the conference finals last season, you know, is he like a rhythm guy that if he has 30 to 35 minutes instead of 20, you know, does he look a lot better? Um, you know, and I think Gordon uh, was still kind of struggling throughout the season with, with the, uh, you know, the recovery and just the, the mental toll it took on him. But I think he showed you still flashes of, of who he was and what he can be. And obviously, you know, Brown's a good young player. Tatum's a good young player. You know, Horford's a great vet. They, they have enough pieces and enough to win. I think you just kind of have to really sit down and, and have an honest conversation, especially with Brad Stevens and just get his feel. Uh, you know, is, is Kyrie a, a winning player who we want to, want to build around if he'll still be here and uh you know if if he won't will a guy like ad come here will he fit in you know is he you had the, the comments during the season that he didn't want to be traded there because of how they they treated a, a traded isaiah um you know I, I think they've got some tough tough things they have to figure out but danny ainge traditionally has, has done a pretty good job you know figuring out how to get teams over the hump and you know they have so many assets that you're right they they should be there they should still be playing and you know the fact that they're not is uh is an issue and, and something that's got to be figured out i know i don't keep you another minute or two but i, I did want to get your thoughts on the lakers it's a team that has a, a huge fan base uh, all over the country it seems to be a, a dysfunctional organization it sounds like they're settling in on on frank vogel um yet that's as we tape this that's not official um does does he move the needle for you at all? And if you're the Lakers, with this, you know, you have this window of opportunity, I guess, with LeBron James on your roster. What what do you do to to try to capitalize on it, or is it just not possible in a loaded West with that roster to make it happen? Yeah, I, I don't know, if Frank. Uh, I don't know if he moves the needle. I, I think he did a good job in Indiana. He's a he's a tough you know, defensive-minded coach, and, uh, you know, he had some good years there, but Orlando obviously was was not as successful. I, I think he's a he's a solid coach, but it, it's just an odd situation, you know, if they supposedly really like Jason Kidd and now he's going to be on this staff, you know, why didn't you just make him the head coach to begin with? I, uh, I, I could see some potential issues there in terms of, again, having really two coaches on the staff and, you know, if uh, – they start, you know, get off to a meandering start. Does this kid, you know, kind of do what he's had a pension for doing and, and push for more power himself? You know, it's, uh, I think Lou was, was the guy and should have been the right guy. And he wanted five years. They wanted to give him three. Why they couldn't just agree on something in the middle is a little beyond me. But, yeah, I mean, it's a Vogel, you know, if he's the coach, he, you know, they have LeBron and a, and a bunch of inexperience right now and, I think LeBron obviously is, is going to push really hard for Kyrie or AD or any uh, any vet stars that, that he can get. And I, I think that's what you need in the league, you know, to win ultimately. I think LeBron's still a, you know, amazing, great player. But, you know, the young guys haven't really been there. And, uh, 
you know, Kuzma's a, a decent piece, Hart's a decent piece, Ingram looks like a decent piece, but, you know, they just, uh, a lot of them don't know what you have to do every single night for, for 82 games to be a, a playoff team, to be a real contender. And so, you know, I'm sure LeBron will have some input on, on which of those guys he really thinks, um, you know, you can build around and, and who has to go to, to maybe get a guy like AD or, or Kyrie, you know, I, uh, I think they definitely have to go all out to, to get stars around LeBron because, you know, if, if they run it back with this same team they had last year, I mean, I can't see them being much more than a seven or eight seed maybe, at, you know, at best in the West. Last thing, Brian, I really appreciate your time. What I know is a busy day for you. Uh, some some NBA franchise is getting good news uh, Tuesday night. They're going to win the ping pong battle and uh, they're going to get the rights to, to draft Zion Williamson uh, later next month. What's the best fit for Zion, in your opinion, and what kind of a pro do you anticipate him being? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think it'd be it'd be interesting for sure to see him in a big market like uh, like in New York. You know, I uh, I hope maybe for the small market team's sake it doesn't happen, but I I certainly think uh, him playing under under those lights would would be interesting. I mean, I think I think Memphis would be a, a cool spot for him just playing alongside Jackson and uh you know I think they could they could play together and be a nice you know really good young core um and what I see in him you know I, I see a guy I've kind of likened him to a, a supercharged uh Julius Randle or even a supercharged Draymond I I think he you know his, his skill set's going to be his, his motor his athleticism he's gonna he's gonna rebound he's gonna block shots he'll play in transition you know he'll uh he'll make a couple you know, just wild type plays every game like Giannis does, but I, I'm not sure if I see kind of the transcendent uh, LeBron-like player that that some people do. I, I see a guy who's really dominant, really left-hand dominant, who has to use his left hand around the basket every time, goes over his right shoulder in the post every time. You know, he's an undersized four ultimately at the next level, uh, without a great shot, without a great handle. You know, not being a phenomenal passer, I think. Uh, you know, I think he'll impact the game ultimately. Like I said, with his, with his motor, and I think he does. You know, he does play really, really hard. So I would, I would certainly bet on him, and I, I think he will be an all-star in the league. But uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I see a guy who's going to be like a, a franchise-changing talent at, at least for the first couple of years, uh, like like some of the other uh, draft guys do. I meant to ask this earlier about you. You we've jumped around the NBA. I, I know people will be curious to hear this because I'm 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 fascinated. Even though I think I, I have a general feel for the answer because I've heard you answer it before. You you spent uh, I guess what four or five seasons as the video coordinator with the Washington Wizards. Can can you give me any rough idea of what, from a time demand standpoint, during the season that entailed? I would assume that you very rarely had even anything resembling a free moment. That's pretty accurate. Uh, during the season, it's pretty much, you know, seven months straight where you maybe get uh, two or three off days. Um, you know, you're pretty much showing up on, on game days at least at the office around 7 a.m. and probably leaving around midnight, um, non-game days. Uh, you know, something like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. or something. You know, it's it's pretty, pretty nonstop. And on top of that, all the travel, you know, you're on the road probably 150 something days a year when you when you tally up the uh, the preseason the playoffs and all that um so yeah i mean it's it's an enormous commitment and that's why you know i tend to have a lot of 
empathy for, for coaches and for, for people that are in there currently, you know, cause I just, I've seen it from that side. I know how much those people pour every aspect of themselves into, into the team and into finding a way to win and, and studying the film, studying the analytics, studying absolutely everything you can. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty all encompassing and, and relentless. Yeah, I can't imagine you put all that time into it and then it, 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 it falls apart on a defensive breakdown. A mental a mental mistake, which probably for a, a guy that's studying the video or a coach who's who's pouring over game plans and film, it, it, it's probably almost impossible to fathom, and yet it happens all the time. Yeah, I definitely had a few uh, few moments where I'd, I'd throw a, a water bottle or something in the video room, you know, you you pour, like I said, you pour your heart into the prep and you feel like, you know, guys are, are fully aware of everything and that they know every tendency and so on. But, you know, ultimately, especially in the playoffs, when you're playing, uh, when you're playing 40 to 45 minutes and it's your hundredth game of the season, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's when the, uh, the mental stuff starts to go to, and, you know, it's just, you just wear down physically, mentally, everything. So, you know, I think you even see that in the in the playoffs some when people are talking about Philly, for example, last night, uh, you know, not executing down the stretch and people, everybody wants to blame coaching and Brett Brown. And, uh, you know, I, I see mostly a, a team that could barely uh, walk the ball up the court. You know, they had Jimmy Butler on a on a bad ankle and just and be dead tired and guys who just, you know, were, were so exhausted that they could hardly even, you know, think, uh, let alone – execute a, a complicated play so yeah you know I think uh, it, it's definitely tough but you also have to realize that the players you know you're putting a lot in mentally and a lot of a lot of hours into the gig but they're also you know giving a ton of themselves and a ton of themselves you know physically um, and uh, you know ultimately in the playoffs that's that's what it comes down to. Brian thanks so much for the time I really enjoyed it hope to uh, do it again sometime soon. Thank you very much for having me appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Our thanks to Brian for his time today. Hope you enjoy the NBA playoffs, the NBA draft lottery, all that stuff. If you're an NBA guy like me, this is a really fun, fascinating time of year. We'll be back, uh, I think, later in the week with another edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm working on a couple of different things, so hope to get that to you by the end of the week. Until then, enjoy your week. Take care and talk to you soon.